Welcome to Shed the Music Spotlight Podcast. My name is Bob Habersat. I'm a high school teacher and co-founder of ShedTheMusic.com. With over 45 million views and a following of over 250,000 subscribers, Christopher Bill is the most subscribed brass musician on YouTube. In addition to producing a new video every Saturday for his channel, he often performs at festivals such as the American Trombone Workshop, Midwest Clinic, Texas Bandmasters Association, Western International Band Clinic, TMEA, The NAM Show, and the International Trombone Festival. Thanks, Christopher, for coming on the podcast. Happy to be here. How are you doing? I, I'm doing great. Today was uh, the last day of school for me before break. Before we started recording, you were telling me about your new time zone. <laughs> can you please, can you please, if, if it's okay, can you please tell everyone how you are, how you're conquering the world um, by thinking you're off the coast of Brazil right now? <laughs> I never, uh, I haven't told this publicly, so this is a, Oh, no. Oh, no. Exclusive. We can cut it out. We can cut it no, out. Is it going to ruin right. it? No, okay. it's fine. It's just I'm a lunatic. Uh I think it's, I think it's, it's talk about creative problem solving. I mean, because of who you are with what you're doing and what you have around you, I thought, yeah. I'm like, this is, this is genius. So the problem really was I, I, I'm not a morning person really at the end of the day, that's the issue. And so I was not willing to wake up at five or six in the morning and daylight savings time was coming around. And so I was like, the sun's now going to come up at five or six in the morning and be gone by 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. And I'm not going to wake up earlier. So I'm now just losing out on a couple more hours of, of daylight. And that's depressing in the winter in New York. It just is, right? I'm less productive when the sun's uh, gone and, and I wasn't willing to wake up early. So I, I decided instead of doing daylight savings time, I was going to change all of my my time zones on my phone and my computers and everything to uh this time zone off the coast of brazil so it is three hours later than eastern standard time where i live so instantly the sun was setting not an hour earlier but two hours later (laughs) and uh it was just like this beautiful i went on a walk i remember it was maybe the second day i did it and my friends were all making fun of me for it. They're like, just wake up earlier, you know, go to bed earlier, wake up earlier, which is what I was doing. <laughs> I just was pretending I wasn't. Um, and so it was the second or third day, I think. And I, you know, woke up late, meaning maybe 11 a.m., which is 8 a.m. in Eastern Standard Time. But for me, <laughs> it was 11. Okay. So I woke up late. And I'm like, I can't stay in bed. Okay, get up. I make breakfast. I do a little work. And I'm like, oh, it's getting kind of late. You know, it's like four o'clock. The sun's usually goes down. Oh, wait. I got a couple hours of daylight left. So I went out and I went for a run and like went on a hike. And then I got back. It was like 7 p.m. The sun was just going down. And I, I just had this huge grin on my face. And I'm like, I don't care if everybody in the world thinks I'm a lunatic. Like, this is amazing. Because I'm not going to wake up earlier. So I'm just missing out on, like, the earlier, you know, daylight if if I don't do this. I'm like, yeah, I think it works. And, of course, I, I'm not on a normal schedule. Everything is virtual. I live alone. So I'm already converting times to... Uh, for this, you know, instance to central time, I'm dealing with a lot of people in, um, in LA, uh, coming up in next week, I'm working with a bunch of people in London. So the time zone thing is already kind of all over the place. If anything, this makes it much easier for me to work with people in Europe because I'm closer to them. 
Man, what, wait until you have to collaborate with somebody off the coast of Brazil. You're going to be like so oh my in gosh. sync. <laughs> I know what time it is. Yeah, so th- that's actually another kind of just funny side note, which is like I knew that this was the sweet spot where it's like it's it's enough t- It's three hours ahead of Eastern, right? Four would be too much. Two would be too much. Okay, three. There's only one place in the world where that exists, and it's this little tiny island off the coast of Brazil. And the reason it's like known is because it is the only place with that time zone. And so it's really important for like clocks and for everything for that to be in existence or else it would be missing one of the, the important like hourly time zones uh, and it messes things up. So it's like, that's the one for me. And, and before daylight savings time, I was looking, it was like a place in Greenland was, was the, was the sweet spot, but they don't do daylight savings time there. So it didn't work. (laughs) That's crazy. And the Island is shaped like a trombone. It's shaped That's like it. a trombone. It's the trombone-shaped island off of Brazil. I was, um, I had a former student. He needed to write a paper, and he needed to ask me some questions. So he wanted to interview me last week. And uh, I've never done this before, but I was kind of tight on time, and I wanted to ride my exercise bike. So mm-hmm. I was like, "All right, I'll, I'll, we could, we could do our interview. It'd be great. But do you mind if I ride my exercise bike?" And he was like, cool, yeah, ride your exercise bike. So I was riding my bike and doing these interview questions. And it was the most, like, next level version of me. Like, I sounded like (laughs) smarter me. Um, I was making these inferences and these connections to things that I've never made before. I was inspiring myself it was like i was i was coming up with the new ideas for different things while i was talking to him um <laughs> i need to do was, some jumping jacks before this then yeah well uh, th- i was thinking about that i'd like i for maybe my podcast thing sh- you need a podcast thing i guess yeah it should be like we can <laughs> both be on exercise equipment talking Ooh. to each other and then like that could be uh you know it can get us to the next level You're, i wasn't in my way you know i was like uh more flow state do you have any unique things that you do to like amp up your creative state to to get out of your own way you know it's it's funny you mentioned that because i'm just like oh that's such a good idea i should do that when i ever get in a rut because what i i I don't do that at all i don't have any tricks i literally just like work through it (laughs) and it's sometimes miserable but um so i've been doing these these live streams um I, i try to do them every week but you know life gets in the way often um where i just kind of go on twitch and uh, do improvised loops with trombone piano whatever voice um you know i've gotten some new toys along the way but uh it's still generally the same thing just kind of coming up with something people send me keys and styles and i just kind of go and the thing that happens with that you know once in a while i'll start something and i really like it and it's great the whole time usually i start something and it's awkward and it doesn't really work and i kind of hate it and the chat kind of hates it it's like okay (laughs) like but i always work through it and and it morphs a little bit and maybe it's not the the thing that we started out doing and maybe it's not like uh you know a classical version of this tune in the key of a like maybe i transpose it so it's a little bit faster and you know the vibe is different and now my ear is starting to take me places just based on what i'm hearing from what i've already done and i work and work and work and by the end i always love it like always and i'm surprised every time too and i shouldn't be anymore because i know like that's what happens in the creative process 
but it surprises me every time. It surprises the chat every time. We're like, oh man, this is groovy now. I'm like, yeah, okay, I kind of like it now. But it does not change the fact that at the beginning I hated it, you know? So I don't know. I, I think that's that's like a very quick version of my, my process when I get in that kind of, like I need my creativity to, to work better. Um, so if I'm just alone and not live streaming and not doing an improvised thing, you know, I'll be writing, usually just arranging something at the piano, at the computer, uh, and I'll hate it, but I know that if I keep working, uh, my personal work, working style, if I keep going and keep going and just kind of keep going towards what I want it to sound like, I know that I'll get to the, something that I love. Um, it's not fun sometimes, but yeah, right. but yeah that is, that is uh, n- next time I'm definitely going to get the blood <laughs> moving and like maybe listen to something else, like inspiration from other things, just get myself away from it. That's a really good idea though. I never even thought of that. Just get the blood moving. So you, you exercise the discomfort and you're like forcing the, cre- you're like at gunpoint forcing mm-hmm. the creative Christopher Bill, like be creative now. And like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So that, I mean, that's still, that's still a form of exercise. Um, uh, can I pull up a quote? Uh, yeah, dude. The, it's um, by Chuck Close, the, the painter. Um, and I, I want to get it right. I, I usually misquote it, so I, just for you. Okay, you ready? So this is this was sent to me by um, Alex Isles, who's one of the the greatest uh, West Coast trombonists. Uh, he's on everything you've ever heard, Star Wars, like everything, Incredibles, everything. Uh, and so he sent this to me when I was actually um, <laughs> turning down his school <laughs> for grad school. Uh, he called me after I said, no, I'm not going to go out uh, to CalArts for grad school. And was like, you know, just because you're not going to come here doesn't mean we can't work together. I can't, you know, help you as a teacher, which was, you know, obviously amazing from somebody like that. And we talked and talked and he sent me this, this quote, and I've think about it every time I get in that situation. So it's, it's not long. It's uh, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and get to work. If you wait around for the clouds to be to part and a bowl of lightning to strike you in the brain, you are not going to make an awful lot of work. All the best ideas come out of the process. They come out of the work itself. So I know. And I I think about that just like, yeah, the process is the creativity. It's not like by the end. I mean, again, sometimes I start one of those things and it's awesome and I love it the whole way. But that's what, you know, one out of every 20 you know so you can't you can't wait around for those um and that's my saturday deadlines for the youtube channel too like eventually you just gotta like all right we'll do something and make it work yeah i think as as educators um you know we like uh, improv jazz improv that's comes mm-hmm. to mind right away it's for like, sure um we try to teach students that you know improv is spontaneous composition and you know all the greatest improvisers are just you know, flowing forth their their creative <laughs> awesomeness, and yeah. a lot of it is just trudging, and mm-hmm. then you know, memorizing some licks and stuff to intertwine between the actual creative moments in your improvisation. Um, yeah. But I, I think it is, you know, there's the word that's tossed around um, in the edu circle, grit, and, and there's mm-hmm. like there's something to um, the grit of creativity, and like pushing through that like I've I mean this morning I was writing a bunch of little four measure songs for this method uh book thing that I'm writing and I just like what you were doing on the live stream except it wasn't live it was like the first one is like all right I'm I'm gonna 
I was using Soundtrap, and Soundtrap came out with the new 80s sound library. I was like, okay, I'm only going to use these sounds. And <laughs> cool. I started, and I was like, no. Nah. And then at the end, I was like, this is so, this is like Depeche Mode. This is awesome. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's that, like, trusting yourself. Right. And then knowing that if you say no, it's not going to work because it's not going to happen. So you have mm-hmm. to say, it's yes and, which is also mm-hmm. like a like an improv thing, like an improv comedy thing. We have, we always sure. yes and, but it's hard to yes and yourself sometimes. Uh-huh. Uh, what, because you are a full-time YouTuber, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I would that's say. Your, and virtual virtual ensemble uh, put her together. Yeah, that is as of March. I mean, the, the virtual ensemble stuff is not new to me. I, I, I've been doing it for my YouTube channel for almost a decade now you know be that my own parts or other people's putting them together uh if that's i've recorded all the parts on my equipment and then put them together on my you know know, own system or people send me their videos they were all for my youtube channel up until march and then (laughs) it's like okay i have another full-time job now because everybody needs these skills and nobody has the time to learn them you know yeah it feels like everyone especially educators, you know, Mm -hmm. like they were put into, you know, you are now a YouTuber and you're (laughs) an online curriculum creative person. And you are also like, um, an an emotional supporter for all these students and it's like an IT specialist. And it's Mm -hmm. your first day back on the job doing all four of those jobs. And it was just like, whoa. And for any of us that had any experience in that, we felt like, you know, it's a huge gift to have that. And uh, you had you had that gift as well. So what can you describe like your path from, you know, where you were like picking up trombone when they were going around with the different instruments in fourth grade or whatever uh, to full time YouTuber trombone star? (laughs) Yeah. um, So a lot of my early on the path was just following my my older siblings i have three older siblings and they were playing piano you know so i started i said i want to learn piano when i was six years old right like it wasn't like my parents were like you're going to take piano lessons just like your siblings i just saw them doing it and i said i want to do that um my brother i saw him playing trombone i want to play trombone so uh all of that was me just following following their lead uh the trombone one is funny because my brother is actually a euphonium player but i saw him playing in the jazz band and so i didn't know that that wasn't his main instrument when i chose it i was like i want to be like him i want to play trombone just because i happened to be seeing a jazz band concert not a concert band concert so had i seen a concert band concert first i think i would have picked up euphonium and you know it's <laughs> who knows what would have happened then um but uh, yeah, so I picked up trombone again that following that and uh, wanted to be an educator. I remember that in seventh grade. I wanted to be an educator. Um, I wanted to because I didn't know there was any other career in music. You know, again, it's only the things that you see around. That leads me to, you know, a much deeper conversation that I think two white men probably don't have. But uh, we, we can talk tangentially about it, which is like you see people who look like you and you're like, Oh, I can be that. Right. So I see this band director and I'm like, Oh, I can be that. Or my brother, I could be that. You know, if, if you don't have representation in these roles, I don't think you look at that and say, Oh, that's an option for me. Right. 
so obviously a much, much bigger conversation there. But um, that was easily my path. And it wasn't until I got into high school that I found out like you could be a performer and make a living doing that and not just do it on the side. I grew up in a small town in upstate New York. There wasn't anybody there. Zero people in my town were full-time performers, right? So I didn't see that as an option for me until somebody like broadens that for me. Um, which is just kind of funny to think about. Like there was no YouTube, you know, there wasn't any path towards that where I could see it. And now I wonder what, what kids, uh, experiences with that when they just know, like they see it and not only do they see it, even just YouTuber is an option for a career path where when I started playing trombone, YouTube literally didn't exist. So yeah, uh, then I get into a conservatory for, uh, like meant to, get me into a major orchestra. That's what the program is. Uh, it was the Purchase Conservatory of Music outside of New York City. And um, I learned very fast that all of the people around me were much more passionate about it. They were better than me. <laughs> and I needed to find a different lane if I was going to do it. I, I thought I would switch majors and write pop tunes because uh, I was really good at it <laughs> and I liked it a lot better. I was spending all my time doing that and then getting like very low grades in like my trombone lessons <laughs> and stuff. It's like, oh, I guess I should probably just do the thing that I'm good at and that I enjoy. Um, and then I had a trombone teacher who just kind of turned it all around and was like, you can you can continue on and do these things and apply this to other music and your other passions. Um, and that's when I started looking into Broadway music. I was thinking my path forward would be playing on Broadway or commercial music, maybe out to LA. Um, and from there, I started writing my arrangements and recording them myself, putting them on YouTube. But still, at this point, you couldn't make money on YouTube. So it was just a fun side project, something that any music student will understand, which is you're never finished, you know, like you're in this this program it's a four-year program and you're looking at your professors who are practicing every day and you're going you're never done <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it just gets very taxing to be like okay I have a junior recital I'm a freshman and I have a junior recital that I know I'm preparing for <laughs> like that's the first thing that matters a 30-minute recital in three years and then the next one is a senior recital it's just like this is way too long-term and not finite enough, uh, for me anyway. And so I started making these videos as, I didn't know it at the time, but as a way to just be like, look, I did a thing and it's done and I can share it with people. And once I hit upload, once I finish this thing, it's done and I can't edit it anymore. I can't. So it's just like this little time capsule, each video. And and it's been like that since, you know, it's been, a, it's been almost 10 years since I posted that first one. And every one is just a little, little snapshot of my progress. And, um, at the beginning they weren't very good, but I, I like, I was proud of them at the time. And so, um, that's what they were. I, it was still wasn't a career, even in college, even as I was making those videos, it wasn't a career because nobody was doing it as a career yet. And it wasn't until my senior year when I did, um, Pharrell Williams is happy. And that one went viral. It was the first video of mine to get over a million views and still didn't have a huge subscriber base at that time, but it was like, oh, this this is actually something I need to look at. And that's when I was turning down grad school and like it's figuring out getting, you know, sponsorships from from manufacturers and all of this was just like all of a sudden happening in March or 
yeah, April of my senior year. So there was not a lot of time to figure out what was going to happen next. Um, and my plan was just to take a year, see what happens, see if I can make a living doing this. And if not go out and to LA for grad school, uh, for jazz. Um, and I haven't done that yet. So we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so like what is your day to day Like, students see the YouTube videos, they just see, oh, it's fun. They're having so much fun. They're making cool stuff all the time. But what's your day-to-day, like, as as a a YouTuber? Um, Well, before I get into that, I think think that's kind of why the loops were so successful, is because you see the process. I mean, obviously, there's a whole bunch of arranging and practice that goes on before. But you watch me make the tune, you know? You see, there's the bass line, there's the harmony, and, and maybe... I mean, hopefully everybody at a certain point, it gets to a point where it's like the the complexity of it and you just kind of like have to zoom out and just enjoy it. But at the beginning, no matter who you are, you're like, okay, there's a trombone playing a, you know, a whole note. I can understand this. And and you get to like watch that develop in that process. I, I think that, that that's like the pull of that. I don't know. I'm too close to it to know, but um, kind of interesting to see how that those do better than my four-part arrangements, which are much more of a process you know uh um so something to think about again but um my day-to-day is very sporadic especially these days because i'm doing so much of the editing for orchestras and things um it's kind of just like juggling and keeping a few balls in the air while i go to make sure that by the time we get to saturday i have (laughs) some sort of plan for my weekly videos um but it's been quite a few years since I've had some sense of like a a normal week but it used to be you know a a day at the beginning of the week to kind of just let everything relax maybe I'm I'm doing some extra posting of the stuff that just came out on the other social media stuff uh I'm keeping an eye on like the billboard hot 100 um I I like to listen to every single new edition so, you know, there's a hundred tunes on that, obviously, but uh, how many new every week? It's it's only a handful. So if you listen to the new stuff every week, eventually you're only listening to, you know, five, six, uh, up to 15 um, every week. And then you've, you just kind of keep tabs on everything uh, that's going on in the music industry. So I'm looking at that. I used to have charts that would track the Spotify ones versus the Billboard versus the sales um just to you know have your finger on the pulse uh, what's cool about doing covers is you don't have to be right every time you know i'm not uh, there'll be another video next week but for example like the pharrell williams one that came out in uh, i think it was the end of february and it was like the song of the summer that next summer right so i had all this time to to build on it just because i'm like you don't have to be right like i'll do all of the top 10 eventually and one of them will will have staying power um and that video will do well or like uh, uh bad guy by billy eilish was another one like you know I, I did that a couple months before it it hit and and then it was everywhere for a year so um that that's definitely like the beginning of the week i'm i'm doing a lot of those analytics and then uh, a couple days you know i pick the tune a couple days arranging um maybe a, a day recording and filming and then a day with all the editing and post production so uh, you know, it's a full-time job for sure. Uh, I've had to condense it over the past couple of years through my travel schedule and now all this other uh, freelance editing that I'm doing. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, sometimes 
sometimes it's a one day process and it's really hectic and awful sometimes two three days three days is is the kind of sweet spot where it's like this isn't too hectic um but also i can't get too like precious with it with you know the creativity kind of has to just kind of flow and be like okay this is good enough i'm gonna make this sound as good as as that can uh the way i kind of explain that is basically putting on different hats as i go so there's like the arranger and then once the arranging is done, I unless I made a mistake, like I don't go back. So now it's up to the performer to make that sound as good as it can. And then once I've recorded, I can't go back unless I've made a big mistake, right? So then it's up to the producer or the editor to make that sound as good as it can. And it's basically this like linear process that if I don't have it that way, I get so bogged down with just like, oh, let me go back and do that. It's just, it's so messy. So um that allows me to kind of uh keep things moving forward and then of course then we get to like the video editing phase and it's like i just have to work with what i have um there there are some good examples where like i just forgot to like change my outfit in between if i had a cool video idea where like each part would have a different outfit on i forgot to do it so now it's up to the editor to figure out like okay how do i make it clear that there's a different part playing the melody uh, when they all look the same. So like those kind of creative restrictions that happen. Yelling at yourself like, damn it, Christopher. Yeah. Not- <laughs> so ac- no, absolutely, completely. Like that's actually what happens is where I'm like, like I'll arrange something and it's really hard. And then I, it comes time to play it. I'm like, God, this is like, this is stupid. Why would you ever write this? Like it literally <laughs> happens. Like, like God, I hate him for writing this for me. Like it's it's definitely like six or seven different Chris's that just like put on different hats and yell at each other. So when you when you are you writing it out like in notation when you're arranging like sitting down paper and pen there's uh a few like very sporadic examples of me just playing the parts in as I hear them um most of the time I'm I'm writing it out on finale I mean at this point a lot of them are pop tunes and I'm a, I've now started to do different things with them uh, this year, and we could talk about why, but for many years, for the vast majority of this stuff, I'm basically just doing like a, a transcription of the pop tune. You know, I'm, I'm writing out the melody exactly as I hear it, the bass line. Maybe I have to change the chords a little bit or change the inner parts a little bit if it's really, you know, not a lot going on in the song. But for the most part, if there's a couple cool parts, I'm only doing four, you know, it's, it's, it's enough, and I get all the chord tones. So, um, it's uh i forgot your question completely i need to do some jumping jacks what was it <laughs> i was asking if you wrote them down yeah so so i i, I sit down at the piano and, and basically like i listen to it once through and, and play along with it which now i can do at the beginning when i started i definitely couldn't but now with a with a simple pop tune by the end of the song i'm playing along i know the chords i, I know the melody and then yeah i input it in finale um uh and and kind of go with it um what i alluded to is is now i'm doing things like uh this pop tune except it's now in a, like a jazz style or it gets funkier as it goes on or it gets more complex as it goes and and the reason for that is is basically the youtube algorithm um wanting uh playtime. so you know the the duration somebody watches my video is really important and with a pop tune like once you get to the first chorus it's kind of like okay i get it and people would click off but if it's it gets complex more complex every verse well you have to watch till the end to actually like get that payoff and and um 
another way to say that though is uh, like this is kind of like a cynical way to, to say it the other version of that is it's just better content that people want to see more of right so like we're playing into the algorithm for sure but also like there's a reason that people are watching more it's because it's better and more engaging so um so it's been way more fun obviously that's that's a much longer process um i have to kind of start with the end of that like how what's the the final version sound like like i did the adams family but it gets funkier as it goes okay so what's the end sound like and then kind of watering it down till we get back to the original which is the f- the first thing you hear is like okay this is how the the song sounds and then just adding an element each time uh again a much more creative process uh harder and uh but certainly more rewarding. Um, so that's kind of that process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, was gonna, I have I have two things on there. I have okay. one about like rewarding, and mm-hmm. then I have clickbait culture. Like, yeah. first of all, when you were when you were describing that and playing to the algorithm, like I wonder if that's going to change how music is written. Like, is yeah. it, it are, are we we have this for? I don't know, 60 so years, this verse chorus pop song thing where things are easily just sure. brought back. You know, you add a new harmonic te- or a new texture in the verse and it, you change the words up. But I wonder if that's going to start to change if we're we're trying to get, you know, longer plays on YouTube. The whole clickbait culture thing and e- having um, like fulfillment as a, mm-hmm. a creator, like not a creator, that's, that's a weird term now, uh, as like a... a a creative person, you know, you have sure. like, there are some things you put out and you're like, this was just work. And then you have some things that you put out and you're like, I feel really good about this. I feel fulfilled by what I did. Like how does having, um, to play to the algorithm, how does that work with yourself as a creative person and having fulfillment? Like, are there times when you're like, this is just or because I want to do something else or, or, or is it, you're able to push cause you've done it for so long. You're able to just kind of push that weird voice away like how does that work for you um i don't i don't worry about it too much um because it's it's going to be something that like like i'm never going to do something that that i'm not into because i think it'll work for the algorithm Uh, it might be um different than what i'm used to but um if anything that's that's been kind of a blessing because it's like you know I've, I've done over 500 of these things and the pop songs are starting to sound the same to me um there's you know you take away the lyrics and the instrumentation <laughs> they're not that different right so uh they're yeah. not that different to begin with so uh being able to put my creative spin on it in this way um you know it's it's certainly less listenable uh on other platforms i think um like like what basically what you're kind of getting at is like the stuff that we're used to hearing on the radio meaning these choruses are just like just the hooks and you can sing along with the song by the end of it is different than what's going to be captivating on a youtube video um so that's that's now different content when it used to be the same uh you have to basically develop this stuff for the platform that you're making um but yeah, creatively, uh, I like creative restrictions. I like those things. Uh, having just kind of a an open sandbox or playground is is really um, like the blank page thing is is awful for me. So I'll play games with myself to get out of that uh, when there isn't a something like a, a clickbait or or something that I'm going for. Um, but I mean, even like a TikTok where 
the game is like, can I make a perfect loop out of this? So, you know, you, you get to the second time you didn't even realize it started to loop. Uh, that's like this creative restriction on the video side, on the audio side. Um, it's really fun. And that gets me into like that creativity versus just like, I'm going to make something and I want lots of people to see it. Uh, it's over. Like I, that's too broad. So if the algorithm you know, shows me something that, and and when we say the algorithm, it, it's really just saying like, what is doing well on YouTube? That's all that means, you know, and, and making stuff like that. It's not like they send out like a monthly YouTube report, like, okay, now the al- algorithm is going to support this kind of thing. Um, you just it look comes at in what's... a black envelope with yeah. like a embossed <laughs> stamp on it. The algorithm. The algorithm has changed. You will now make less money. Um, so, I mean, like, I definitely notice it when it changes. Like, uh, now my videos will get uh, either, like, <laughs> basically, basically, my videos are, are more likely to get either over 100,000 views or less than, like, 5,000 views. Where it used to be that it would be basically in the middle always, you know? Um, so it's now like overly promoting stuff that does well early on and overly demoting stuff that doesn't do well early on. Um, so it's, it's much more sporadic. And, uh, that basically happened around the time where like YouTube's homepage changed. So it used to be, you'd go to youtube.com and it would show you all the people you're subscribed to and that's it. Like all their new videos. Uh, now as I'm sure most people know, you go to youtube.com, it just shows you recommended stuff not necessarily the things you've subscribed to. And so for content creators, that all of a sudden was like, wait, you're not going to show my videos to the people who have subscribed to me? <laughs> like, excuse me? Um, and so all of a sudden, everybody gets this huge drop in viewership. However, if they decide to promote one of your videos to everybody's home screen that, that might like it, all of a sudden it gets millions of views rather than like thousands. And so... You know, I've had a whole bunch of videos go viral this year uh, that would not have happened before. But the stuff in between, gosh, that's depressing, you know. Uh, so we definitely see that stuff and, and, and pay attention to it and just kind of like, okay. Uh, and also, like, what's the point? Because there's certainly videos I make that aren't supposed to be mainstream. Uh, I just like it. And the fewer people will see it. However, those those people are more niche and they'll love it way more. You know, if I do a classical tune... Um, not as many people are going to see it. However, I get comments every single time. They're like, oh my gosh, this is so great. Like, uh, I wish you would do more classical music. So, you know, I, I throw in some stuff for me and some stuff for them and try new stuff that, that it looks like, uh, is doing well on the platform. I've been doing like reaction videos. Some of my biggest videos now are like these reaction videos, which is just so funny. Cause I'm like, I, I didn't even talk in my first videos. And so now I'm like a personality on there, but uh, they're fun to do. Uh, And so that gets back to your question. Like, do I feel like creatively? I'm like, all right, I guess I have to do this. Uh, No, I would never do anything like that. Um, Like I just would, I would pass on it if it was like something that is doing really well on the platform, but I'm like, it's not me. Um, I think anything I do is, is maybe that stuff that's doing well, but, but through the lens of, of, like me and my creativity. So I, I never feel like inhibited by it. If anything, it's it's one of those creative restrictions that makes me more creative. That's awesome. Yeah, so you're describing a bunch of different skills besides I can play trombone and arrange my butt off and I have great ears and stuff. You're, you're explaining, you're describing like these list of 
you know, your marketing and keeping your finger on the pulse and everything. What are some things that, like, if you wanted to be a musician, YouTuber person, mm-hmm. ancillary to the music, what are some things that you think are important that maybe as educators we can start relaying to our students? Because it seems like you've been so adaptive with the way things are changing and, you know, we're still teaching Sousa. Yeah. Um. So, like, I guess I just gave you two questions. The the first question is like, what are some things that that you think about that if you were to tell a, a YouTuber a person that's starting out, a musician, like what should you be thinking about besides the music? Well, um, <laughs> the answer is is your other passions. Um, now, if if their other passions are the same as mine, then I can go, you know, and I will go into to more detail on on my path, but. Um, the only reason I'm a YouTuber trombonist is because I, yes, I'm passionate about arranging and trombone, uh, and technology and marketing. And like, you know, like these are my passions, computers. I love video editing. Like all of those are other passions of mine. It's not like I wanted to be, you know, principal trombone in the New York Philharmonic. And I went, well, I guess I'll settle for being a YouTube trombonist. Right. Like it was, this is what just made sense in my path. Um, if you really like, I don't know, like working with your hands and like, you know, that kind of stuff and trombone, well, now you can like go make trombones for You could be like, you know, like you could go to one of these manufacturers and get a job there. Like it's combining those passions. And you may think like, well, do you really need to be able to play trombone to make them? And the answer is like, yes, there are literally people in those factories who, play test the instruments they make and that's an important part of the process because they you know put a bunch of stuff off the production line if it doesn't play right so um you can combine all these things if you if you're really into law well you could be like a a music lawyer and study copyright and all this stuff that is super super important right now um so it's combining those passions now if like me you are into these other things uh for me it was I mean, no, I never took a single class on music business or marketing. I guess I did take one on, on, uh, like, uh, kind of viral marketing stuff, which was really interesting, but it was, you know, taught by somebody who worked on like the original David Letterman show. So it's a, it's dated. Right. But, um, but the, the ideas of marketing were still relevant, of course, and sociology. And, and that was so interesting to me to think about, um, the perception of what I'm making, which is certainly important for any industry, musicians specifically, uh, any creative, like your intent is only, um, it, it only matters to you because how people perceive it is going to be what they think about it. Uh, so if you have to change what you make, even if it's not authentically what you were going for, for you, if it's going to be perceived as that, well, then it was worth it, right? Then, then the the art is is what it was supposed to be by the person consuming it, or, or you know, looking at it, or listening to it. Um, and that's that's a hard thing to swallow, you know. Like I'm going to change this, even though it's perfectly authentically what I wanted it to be. I'm going to change it so it's not authentically what I wanted it to be, but so it's perceived the way I want it to be. Um, and that's for any messaging, any marketing, uh, that I was definitely nerding out about at the end of college and, and throughout this stuff is like that kind of just, you know, finger on the pulse of, of knowing how people are going to interact with this stuff when they see it. Are they going to 
perceive it as authentic and like personable. So I'm like standing in a room talking to a camera by myself. Uh, it's a really awkward thing. So if it was being authentic, it would feel real awkward, right? But no, I'm I'm like trying to make the person on the other side of the camera feel like I'm talking to them. And so that's, you know, acting. And that's all these other things that like was fun to learn. The video editing, um, I learned all that just through tutorials on YouTube, uh, video co-pilot for After Effects with Andrew Kramer, like all free stuff. Uh, I never invested money in this until I got to a, a barrier where it was like, I wanna do this thing creatively. Okay, I have to invest some money to get there, um, which is way easier now. Uh, I didn't have a smartphone for three or four years <laughs> when I started doing this. So I had to you know, get a camera and a microphone and all that stuff now you could do it on your phone just to start. So uh, the barriers are, are lower even than when I started. Um, and then the other thing to think about is if you're trying to follow in the footsteps of somebody like me, uh, the footsteps are gone. Um, just like I couldn't follow in the footsteps of my teachers because what they did when they were my age is, is not a thing. Like they were saying, oh, I, I worked my way through school playing in a wedding band what <laughs> like that's not a thing you, you don't get to like make yeah, enough right. money to go th like pay for college by working three nights a week in a wedding band no like that's not that's not a path for us anymore and and they understood that but it's also like they they don't know the landscape and so it's moving so much faster now where even what i did isn't isn't really available now i was one of the first two people making you know youtube videos on trombone no, there still aren't that many. I'm positive there's there's room for ten more, but um, people aren't aren't you know it's harder to build a following because of the changes to the algorithm. It's it's harder and and different. So you can't just do what I did because it's different now. Um, if I were starting today, I would probably start on TikTok, right? You you follow these trends, and now my my content is different because of it. So no longer am I making seven minute videos. I'm making sixty second videos and way more of them. So um, it it's basically looking around, seeing what's going on and, and figuring out what you would make creatively. And then the last thing I'll say about that is um, the best advice I can give for anybody is, is just to make something that you would love to see if you weren't not the one making it, right? Mm. So if you make something and then kind of disassociate from it, and pretend you're like, again, this is the perception thing. Pretend you're like scrolling through Instagram or wherever you're, you're going to post it and you see it. Like, how do you feel about that as you seeing somebody else making this? And if you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I want to share it. Well, that's, that's a good place to start because you're not alone. That content will find the people that are just like you all around the world. You know, you, you didn't used to be able to do this because you would have to be in your own community. And so kind of making stuff that lots of different people like. But now I can make weird trombone videos that only like one person in each town likes. <laughs> However, there's a lot of towns, right? So uh, so now you can be that really, really niche thing. And, and the more niche it is, the more, you know, obviously fewer people will see it. But the more those few people will want to like spend money and, you know, follow you and, and love what you're doing. So that's kind of the, the thing. Like you don't want to be just like another... I used to say like piano uh, vocalist on on YouTube because there's a billion of them and how do you stand out? How do you, how are yeah. you any different? So if you focus on the on the creative output on what you're doing and like just loving that, then yeah, like the, the audience reception is it'll come eventually, but it's it can't be about that because you'll just get bogged down.
So I was getting I was getting to the second half of the question was as the teacher. So like mm-hmm. what can we do differently? Right. To help facilitate that even as we're saying this and as this gets listened to, the landscape has probably changed ever so small, ever Mm -hmm. so smallly, 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 whatever it is. Slightly. Um, But how can we as teachers equip our students to have that, that, that flexibility and like that, you know, being able to look at themselves creatively. And then also, you know, like there's still the fundamentals. Like you need to be able to play your butt off. You know, Mm -hmm. you need to have a good tone. You need to be able to be in tune. Your rhythms have, your time has right. to be so solid. You know, like how, what can we do differently as teachers? Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting thought because I never, I never thought about any of that as I was making the content. And, and I think for the best, because that means my, my goal is to make this, this creative thing. Right. And uh, there aren't that many, like I said, with the new technology, there's not there really aren't barriers. There are barriers to having it be really like, <laughs> like crystal clear audio and all of that. But like you could still, with no microphone, you could still do it like an acapella app on your phone, right? So, uh, if your if your goal is like I want to record "Eye of the Tiger," my like school song, on uh, and do a four part thing. Well, now all of a sudden they're like, well, I got to arrange it. Okay, maybe you find an arrangement online. Okay, uh. I have to record it. And then you listen back and it's like, it doesn't sound right. And so now you're doing all of the stuff that the teacher would be doing and you're doing it to yourself. Like, okay, I guess I need like a metronome. <laughs> okay. That still doesn't sound good. Like my intonation's all over the place. Like if, if the student is the one that's, that's having these realizations, it's a lot more effective than uh, the teacher just saying like, Oh, push your, you know, tuning sliding a little bit. Like <laughs> that's, you know, you'll just have to tell them every single time. So, uh, I think it's good that I didn't have that. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't a practice tool. It was really something that I wanted to create, uh, you know, creatively make. Um, and and I wonder if there's a way for educators to facilitate that and not have it be just like a school project. Okay, I got to do this thing. Um, that's it's kind of seeing that light in the student's eye. And maybe it does start with like a school project. Everybody has to make a thing, but you see those students that are just like. Ooh, I really like, I'm kind of digging into this and, um, encouraging that. I mean, I had a teacher in middle school who encouraged me to do some of these like pop arrangements. I did one, I did a crazy train for the brass ensemble is probably the, that arrangement is somewhere. Oh my God. But it's the worst thing ever. Right. But of course we played it in a concert because if a, you know, sixth grader comes in like, Hey, I arranged this for brass ensemble, you're going to play it. So that kind of encouragement is just so important. I don't know that I would be doing any of this if it weren't for that teacher encouraging me to like continue arranging, you know, um, like, Oh, this is really good. No, it wasn't. But for a sixth grader, sure. Like you show that initiative. Um, I don't know that there's like a broad brush for all students. Um, cause we kind of get into this, this area where it's like, are you, are we really asking educators to be like, so up on all the new apps and all the new technology that they can actually like kind of hang with the kids on it. And it's like, no, cause even that, like they'll see through it and it's very transparent and you'll never be on the cutting edge of that stuff. Like it's impossible even for me full time doing it to just be like understanding where like the zeitgeist is for, for these kids. Um, not to mention like, it's pretty cringy once, once they, they do have like, like, Oh, the teacher's talking about TikTok again. Like, uh, it's, 
you gotta like be <laughs> be careful with that. However, that is that is where this is, and like I'm starting to see these high schoolers who are making content specifically for that, and I'm sure it has nothing to do with with what's happening in their band class. It's on top of that. So um, all of a sudden, they're they're doing all of this stuff, all of the intonation, all of the you know ear training, everything that we want them to do, and would tell them uh, and say like. I mean, when I was in school, it was record yourself playing and listen back to, you know, practicing it and listen back. I, I never did that ever, you know, and I know that it would make me better had I done that. So uh, why didn't I and why wouldn't students today? And it's like, it's just this, it's not part of the routine and uh, not part of what you're doing. So, I mean, maybe it's it's just getting them comfortable with, with recording themselves and comfortable with doing this stuff by like kind of um, uh, just bringing them along the step like the way not saying like hey here's a project go do it but saying like come in record your part and getting them used to like just recording with a click track and and doing all of that stuff that like yeah so you're you know you're doing the work once we can get you know back in the classroom you know sitting them down putting the headphones on them literally like hitting record all of it but it's getting them used to the process so now if they want to do it on their own they they actually know how yeah i think there's there's a couple things in there that I mean, when you were saying, you know, you could just push in your slide a little bit here, you know, that is that is the director being the musician instead of the student being the musician, you know, Completely, like yeah. developing that independent musicianship um, for the student to know like, oh, I need to push in my slide here, mm-hmm. you know, and and for a lot of teachers, I think it's an ego thing. It's like you have to release your ego to not be the controller and the conductor. I think the conductor yeah. is a horrible term for a music teacher. Um, you have to, you know, you, your students are the ones that are building the skills to be independent musicians. You sure. don't have to flex. Yes, you're a great trumpet player, but you're not what this is about. This is about mm-hmm. the students. And then you were talking about, you know, project-based Things. I mean, there, there are so back to that that first point is, there are ways to develop that in your students, but you have to do it with soft hands. You know, you have to do it um, where you're scaffolding these skills that aren't about the music, that are about like the responsibility. You know, mm-hmm. um, and you could do that, and it would take. Uh, a weird time in history where there's a global pandemic where no one is in school and everyone has to record. Like, don't yeah. don't wait until we're back in school to teach them this stuff. It's so relevant now, you mm-hmm. know? Like, that's what that's one of the things that I'm doing with my students. It's like, all right, you're playing classical guitar. You're in your house. You need to find the best sounding room and the mm. best mic placement with your iPad. That's what they have. And you need to record, like, one measure. And you need to listen back. And then you need to play it with your study buddy. And then they're going to tell you if it's good or not. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you know, having those things in the curriculum and in the way that you're, you're teaching and then having project-based, because you're right, like, you can tell a student, you know, you need to work on your time, but it hits so much harder when they're listening to themselves playing with a backing track or a metronome, and then it's just like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, that was so bad. Like, that's when they want to change that intrinsic motivation. Um, so I think now, now is the best time, but you have to do it with that scaffolded um, that you have to let go of being the conductor and you have to help with skill building and you have to help with confidence and you have to help with, you know, developing the sense of you can look at yourself and it's okay to feel bad about what you did. 
you know, you have to fail forward. And I think that a lot of times we're so, you know, if a student gets upset because they didn't play something right, we try to make them feel better about it. Um, but no, you, yeah, you didn't sound good. You know, like you need to sound better. What do you need? That was bad, right? Yeah, that was bad. What do you need to do to be not bad? And I think that sometimes that's a really hard conversation to have. Well, I think it's an easier conversation to have uh, than the the student who thinks it was great. <laughs> you know, like that. I mean, I it's kind of it's kind of freaky to me to to listen back to the early stuff I did because I really was proud of it. You know, I really did think it was really good. And at the time, for me, I I, I guess it was. You know, um, but it's it's scary because obviously you get diminishing returns like the more you practice the obviously you get better but it's it's not as as much as you know your your first day playing an instrument you might make a sound from not making a sound and that's more progress than you'll ever make in a day playing your instrument for the rest of like you know your life so uh it's definitely diminishing returns throughout maybe you have like a breakthrough here and there change your embouchure whatever it is but most of the time it's just these little tiny tiny baby steps and uh it freaks me out to to look back at that because i'm like in a year or at most two years i would look back and be like ooh like that's that's not good and and the stuff i was making that day like i've been doing this long enough the stuff i was making when i looked back and was like ugh i look back at that stuff and i'm like ugh so it's like crazy to to see that in myself and then go to students and it's like what do you say because if somebody came to me while i was making that and said this doesn't sound good uh, that's not going to encourage me to keep making it i need all i need is the encouragement and time to develop my skills more to listen back and and understand but you you also don't want to be at that place where you're like just happy with it and just be like yeah no this is great and this is as good as i'll ever be because it sounds great um I don't know the answer to that one. That's why I'm not an educator. Uh, I think it's definitely a balance between, though, like uh, encouragement and and that that creative or um, constructive criticism. But I I do not know the answer to that. Yeah, it's hard. You have to be gentle, but also real. That's yeah. what I'm finding, especially in this time. Well, maybe that's it. Like like uh, knowing what they're actually capable of like maybe that's it like like i know this could be this much better so i'm going to give you that criticism versus like i could tell you the whole thing's out of tune but you're not going to be able to fix it so you're just going to get discouraged right yeah yeah so know know where they're at know the baseline know mm-hmm. you know and that's really hard it's hard enough in person but during this whole remote thing it's really hard to to like figure figure that out Mm-hmm. Um, like looking at normally I'm able to look at the whole room of students and after a while I can like it's like I see into the matrix I can see like this kid needs this little push and this kid needs it but I, yeah. I can't it's so hard to do that remotely I can only um, imagine. so now this kind of gets me to one of the questions that I actually got from from a, a music teacher uh, through a Facebook group but how do you get your virtual ensemble so tight and clean that's what they that's what they asked <laughs> I edit the crap out of them because <laughs> they've always been. Um, well, <laughs> the the stuff I do professionally now is is definitely always tight and clean, but uh, the early stuff was was not. Um, and I mean the answer is editing, right? But but the editing as mm, as a musical like decision 
versus just like a, a robotic computer decision. So the robotic computer decision is I'm going to make everything perfectly in time, right? With the, with a grid, with a metronome click. Uh, that doesn't sound like good music. And it kind of goes back to the authenticity versus perception thing, uh, which is like the authentic version sounds real bad because this is just a weird thing that we do recording all this stuff separately uh be that different musicians or just me um that's not music uh, this what you don't want to hear just one of those parts you want to hear them all together which never happened right the first time it happened was when the first person hit play on the video so it's not an authentic thing that happens so what we want is the perception of like that performance because the performance never existed so in order to do that like we can we can record it a million times and get it closer and closer and closer to that like that version that we're going for or we record it two or three times and edit it right um and so the editing as musician means knowing what it looks like to swing right like what it looks like to play stuff at, like a, a a staccato note in time you would think maybe that's all of them lined up to a grid. It's not, right? There's there's these little uh, differences. If you could actually just take a, a wind ensemble and say, everybody play a staccato, you know, B-flat chord, go, bomb. You know, you wouldn't see all of those instruments line up perfectly. We're not that good. So it's knowing those kind of, those things, knowing that like the tuba takes a little bit longer to resonate. So maybe that has to be earlier. Like uh, those very minute things are are the reasons why my stuff sounds good these days and hopefully it'll continue to get better the more more times i i try stuff out and learn things uh but the biggest one was swing uh the biggest one was knowing like all of the different kinds of swing uh and knowing what it looks like um obviously i know what it feels like but when you're editing something you that's not enough like you have to literally place it exactly where it needs to be uh, so are you talking to, about like yeah. looking at the waveform itself and then yes. looking at like wow yeah okay yeah and and so hopefully i do a good job with the recording and there's not a lot of that um that has to be like placed every single note but um uh that's I mean that's what it comes down to is is you know you listen through and now I have to make a decision because there's say four parts and two interpretations of it I have to choose one or you know something in between the two so um how does that how is that perceived as like a groove or how is that perceived as authentic like uh just natural sounding music and so uh usually it starts with me actually micromanaging the tempo track so before I even record, I'll take like a MIDI of, of the arrangement and I will do these little tiny pushes and pulls of tempo, which is what you would do in a live setting, right? You have the conductor who uh, just, you know, has the, the tempo move with the music. So it gets to an end of a phrase, maybe it slows down a little bit. And then at the beginning of phrase, it, you know, speeds up a little bit. Uh, these are not like oh, it's 85 beats per minute, then it's 90 beats per minute. It's like 85 and then 85 and a little bit, right? But that's the kind of like breath that we're feeling that kind of weightness or weightlessness of of the music and what makes for something to sound really natural so uh i'm literally micromanaging all of that stuff before i even hit record and then when it comes time to edit maybe i have to adjust that that's, those are the kinds of things that i was saying before where like when it comes time to edit it's the editor's job to make sure it sounds natural and if it sounds overproduced 
you know, and robotic, then I, I need to go back because the whole point of this, again, is the perception of a really natural and authentic performance. And if it sounds, uh, I'm going to say too authentic, too raw, too gritty, like then I need to do more production on it. Um, and it's finding that balance right in the middle where it's, you know, produced and sounds really, really great, but not robotic um, and not, you know, <laughs> like bad. <laughs> not not Yeah, up. I think... I think what what people want to hear is, oh, I clicked, you know, I went to properties yeah. and then I, I went to this window and I clicked yeah. this button. I think that's what people want to hear. I mean, more and more that's happening, which is kind of scary because like there are, I mean, I just, there's in, um, in Ableton, there's, um, uh, which is a, you know, digital audio workstation, audio editing software. And, uh, they they have these grooves, the groove pools, and and it's these recorded in uh, versions of swing, and so you can literally go through the groove pool and say like, oh, I like the the way this swing feels, and then it will convert MIDI to that swing feel, and so now I can I can just line it up to that. Like if I wanted to go through and do that, it's making those things so much easier. Um, the the only problem is I've learned how to do it the old way for all of these things that it's actually faster for me just to do it the old way a lot of times but somebody coming up and learning these tools for the first time there's no reason that like these shortcuts wouldn't be used and and very very effective and powerful but so so you're talking about you separate the audio from the video you're not Mm -hmm. talking about editing the video you're manipulating the audio in post no Um, luckily I'm (laughs) better now (laughs) <laughs> than I used to be uh so so the video editing is not like like the the amount of moving notes around and stuff isn't noticeable to a, a video you know it's we're talking a couple frames we're not talking like oh I played that note a, a beat early <laughs> like like it's not like that um it's these very minute musical kind of feeling things uh that definitely make a huge difference but when you're watching it, you're not going to notice a difference. Um, there are notes, my, my kind of process, I'll, I'll film and record one really good take of each part. And then I will go back and, and re-record any stuff that needs to be, you know, uh, fixed. And tempo usually is not one of them. It's usually like uh, articulation or intonation, or maybe I did like miss a note. Uh, so I like to say, you'll never see me or, or you'll never hear me miss notes, but you'll see me miss notes because I'll use that same video. You'll never notice though, like unless you're going through. Um, and you, luckily you play an instrument where it's it's not as cut and dry. No, nobody will ever know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there there are inconsistencies with the video for sure where like uh, if I re-recorded something, it's it doesn't line up exactly but uh it's usually it's usually close enough so um but there were times before and and once in a while where um it it really doesn't line up like i I played a note in the wrong spot or something and i'll have to manipulate the video too because it really really looks bad especially if it's the melody part um that hasn't happened in in a couple years but uh there, there definitely were times where I would have to like fix the audio, and then when it gets to the video por- portion of the editing, it's like okay, I have to fix fix that too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I have to. It, it, good thing that there's enough people in some of these virtual ensembles. Um, oh yeah, at high school and middle school, because you you have to like change some of their uh, their audio and move it over to make it make it in time and make it sound good. Yeah, yeah. When you get enough people in something, you don't you don't notice. And and the other thing is, we kind of hear we hear with our eyes a lot. 
um, and we see with our ears a lot. So it's like we kind of just make a match up. You know, we will hear something and you'll see it and be like, oh, that looks right. And sometimes you'll see something in here and be like, oh, that sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> you take such a uh, a positronic approach to that. I'm sure like somebody else would look at it and be like, that look, that looks like it sounded wrong. <laughs> but that's good. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, like with all these helper tools, like being able to quantize your audio, the first time somebody showed me that you can quantize an audio file is like, wait, mm-hmm. what? Like people still have to play it live though, you know, like, so you can listen to someone that has like editing chops and then like you go to see them live and then it's just like their time and their intonation is out and you're like, whoa. But I mean, you, you I think live looping, is the greatest mm. like maybe that's what every educator should every educator should give their kid a looper pedal it's uh it's telling fast because you are setting the you're setting the time right from the the get and the intonation and so you don't have to be in tune with a tuner at the beginning and you don't have to be in time with a metronome at the beginning but that second loop, you have to be in time with yourself and you have to be in tune with yourself. So it's yeah. it's a much more like musical uh, and, and applicable uh, skill, I think, uh, once you get to that point, because it's like that looper isn't isn't going to waver. It's not going to change. So now all of a sudden you have to use your ears versus just your eyes looking at a metronome or a tuner, you know. Now I'm writing down. I'm writing down lesson plan ideas. So I'm going to make like, it's like it's like free looper app i'm sure that exists right uh, and then, loopy like, i think it's called loopy yeah. mm-hmm. you give yeah. kids the very very loose parameters and it's like you just have to record just record a loop with yourself mm-hmm. because i remember the first time i had this little looper it's called a, a ditto i like threw that thing out the window i was like what i'm not that bad i am not that bad but I was that bad apparently <laughs> that's that's the thing yeah you kind of can't hide from it and and you st- down the road you start to to do things that you would do in an ensemble uh if you could hear all the other parts like oh this is a major chord and i'm playing the third so i have to lower it a little bit right uh that comes later but but it definitely happens and and without even thinking about it it happens because you're just like i I need this chord to sound the way i want it to sound um you're not like micromanaging that necessarily um it's really cool to see in a live setting on trombone specifically i don't know if you've ever you've ever watched like a trombone section play in an orchestra or something uh not at the super high level because they just played in tune but uh just below like at like a really like good orchestra or or community group um if two trombonists are, are playing something one's a little bit higher than the other you'll see them instantaneously just move their slides in the opposite directions to meet each other in the middle. It's like the coolest thing. And every instrument does it, but with trombone, it's such a visual thing. And whenever it happens to me, like you just see the person match you halfway going the opposite direction with the slide. And you just kind of like, okay, good. This one gets it. Cause otherwise you're just meeting them the whole way. And it's like, okay, this wasn't a great musician. They're not listening. Um, But, and it's, it's like, it's crazy how fast it happens um i I don't think we give ourselves enough credit as musicians like how fast our ears uh can like make our bodies physically react and and fix this stuff in real time where it's just the very start of the note and then it's in tune you know obviously like i said at the the super high level it's just in tune from the get but yeah they just um, they're in tune yeah but 
that's less exciting to me, <laughs> you know, than actually like seeing a mistake or like it's not it's not the the um, you know intonation isn't vibing and the chord isn't resonating the way you want it to, and, and seeing that that like progress, uh, which totally happens with looping. So you know, if you're playing whole notes, by the end of the whole note, it it better be in tune, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I was. So sure, quick story. I was live looping. I did it for about a year. I was there was a yoga place that was across the L from my apartment. Okay. Um, I live I live living around Chicago. So I asked them if they ever have musicians, and they're like, "Yeah, mm. we you know have some people do like like uh, gong baths and stuff." Sure. And so I was I pitched this idea like I'm gonna do live looping on guitar, and I did it for about a year. Like I'd I'd bring at the end of it like. I had, you know, I used main stage, which is like logic, and then I had my guitar, and I could make like a whole hour of soundscape and have it kind of flow with what the instructor was doing. It was really cool. But if you ever did a clunker, like mm. when people are like breathing together, it was, it's like, it's detrimental to yourself to hear it when you're looping, but like to ruin the vibe of of like 30 people that are like in their, that are like touching their souls. It's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. It, it got me, I only did a couple of them where it was wrong. And yeah. one of them was a, uh, it was a software thing. Like I pressed the wrong button and I triggered a drum loop really, really, oh, no. really loud in main stage. I quickly <laughs> turned it off, but it was like, I just brought a whole lot of people way further away from Zen. That's so <laughs> funny. Yeah. I, I used to hit the microphone with my bell and <laughs> and it was just like, I mean, sometimes if it were, if it was at least on like an eighth note in time, then I could turn it into like the drum beat. But there were times where it just, it, it there's no saving this. And it's just funny. over. Like you just, you got to figure out a way to end it. Cause every single oh, time gosh. they're hearing this dunk clunk. <laughs> yeah. This question is another one from, uh, from a Facebook group is, uh, okay. it just says hair, hair care tips. Ooh, so I use, uh, so I'm really into like minimalism and, and zero waste lifestyle. So uh, there's a, a place in Brooklyn called Package Free uh, owned, co-owned by Lauren Singer. And uh, this guy goes by the name of Zero Waste Daniel. Um, but uh, they they have this whole zero waste shop. And so, you know, transitioning my whole life to finding these basically bulk options for things like shampoo and conditioner and soaps and toothpaste, you know, laundry detergent. And so I, I, there's a, there's a shampoo bar that I like there. So it's like a, a dry, like looks like a bar of soap and you basically like lather it up in the shower and, and it turns into shampoo. And so I use wow. a, a zero. How long does a, the bar last? Oh, it lasts way longer than any, yeah. Any liquid shampoo I've ever had. Um, probably like twice as long as any any bottle maybe maybe a little longer so yeah that's that's my and they have a conditioner bar too that i like they smell nice if we can just prep a little bit before uh this collaboration uh virtual ensembles are being done by i'm i'm seeing some interesting ones being done um, and I know that you have an amazing video. It's like a, it's everyone should just watch it. It's how to do virtual ensembles. Watch the video. Things have changed actually since I've I've done that video. I've updated my process to make it much faster. 
Really? Believe it or not. Yeah. Oh, wow. Thanks, Christopher, for coming on the podcast. We're going to hop off now. We're going to turn our cameras on. And cameras. Oh, but we're going to turn our cameras on. <laughs> and we are going to uh, give you guys a quick top five things you should do right now to make your virtual ensembles better. Thanks for having me. 